Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to be again talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, let's see, I'm going to open up the chat room, too. Uh, I see callers are starting to come in. I was thinking I was feeling kind of lonely. Oh, here they come. <laughs> okay. Uh, I I got in here by the skin of my teeth as it was. <laughs> so, and uh, set up the program. Uh, we got three hours. Uh, I will take call-ins almost immediately. Uh, I have a topic that I was going to cover. Uh, which is a letter that somebody has been sending me letters for years and years. He he was actually, I've met him at a retreat, and uh, he got food poisoning or something when he's on the road, and we found out about it, and we called people that were in our rather scattered network at the time, and uh, got him help. Somebody drove, picked him up, took him in, nursed him back to health. When he got healthy, ended up that that couple... It's an elderly couple, and the husband had been crippled, and he was in a wheelchair. And so the guy stayed an extra week or two or something and did all the chores that that guy could no longer do because of the fact that he was crippled and was great help and blessing to them. And we thought, wow, this was years and years ago. And I thought, this was this was great. This is what the network needs to be, is that no matter where you are, we can get you hooked up with somebody who understands Charity understands compassion, who are good Samaritans, and will go out of their way to help other people. Uh, the problem is, is that what do you do in the meantime when nothing exciting is going on? And that is why Christ commanded us to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so that we would cultivate that relationship, so that we would build that network, those connections, those social bonds, necessary for a free society. And, of course, evil wants you not to create those social bonds, and uh, so they provide a system of social welfare that will degenerate those social bonds. And which is why, and Polybius saw this going on in Rome 150, 200 years before Christ. He probably saw it in Corinth, because that's where he was from. Uh, And all the evidence of what Corinth had been doing at that time and how they were getting into trouble and betraying Rome. You know, they're saying, we're going to do this and we're going to take care of you. And they're actually betraying Rome. And eventually Rome just had enough and went over there and squashed them because they were trying to play both sides of the street. Now, to be fair, the other guys that weren't a part of Rome were not necessarily that bad a guy. It all depends on what particular time period you're in. But uh, they had to; they needed to play honorably. And uh, Rome just had enough and went over there and squashed Corinth. Now, Polybius was from Corinth. He was living in Rome because the first time they had a dispute, he was part of an exchange where you give your brightest, noblest men to come live in Rome. You know, they're well-treated. They, they have housing. They uh, have positions of prominence. Uh, but they are not allowed to go back to Corinth. 
and they're sort of hostages, if I may use the French word, hostage. And uh, that's what Polybius was. And Polybius worked for the government, was well-paid, was well-respected, and he was there when Rome decided to go back to Corinth and squash it. And, I mean, they squashed it. They leveled it. Uh, there wasn't a stone upon a stone. There was nothing. There was no Corinthians left there. Uh, the men were pretty much put to the sword, and the women and children were pretty much sold into slavery because the Romans meant business. But, of course, we're doing the same thing right now in Ukraine. You don't hear about it because you're, for the same reason you didn't hear all the things that you didn't hear about from the media during COVID. The same things that, you know, like I talked this morning about uh, Tim Poole did a thing for a prager you and talking about liars. Your media are liars. But, of course, your school teachers were liars. And like I said, most lies that are told today are told by people who believe the lies to be true. And when Eve went and told Adam that, hey, you know, I, I think we can eat this fruit. <laughs> I think we can eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, I don't think we're going to die. And she believed it. But she believes a liar. <laughs> the liar of liars. And uh, that's the way the liar of liars works. He's not going to go to somebody who's going to know he's a liar. He's going to go to somebody who he creeps into their thinking and convinces them that, yeah, this is okay. And then when everybody goes the way that they think that it's okay, then they convince the other people who put their trust in that individual. And you don't want that. And, and of course, it's classic. It's classic way to defraud people. And, of course, you've been defrauded. You've been deceived. Now, when I say defrauded, I don't mean that you can claim fraud. No, you actually, and, and this is the clever thing of the wicked. Now, they get you to destroy yourself. They, they get you to play the dishonest game. Therefore, the dishonest game could be played with you. They get you to covet your neighbor's goods, so now your neighbor can covet your goods. They get you to take a bite out of your neighbor until the point where they can finally devour you. These, you know, and those of you who are familiar with the Bible know I'm, I'm taking quotes from the Bible and showing you. So Polybius saw that this granting of benefits that later Plutarch would write about, that this granting of benefits degenerates the people. Of course, it doesn't happen overnight. It, it takes a little while to get to that point where it starts to happen, but it happens. And, you know, I added a section to our uh, legal charity page, uh, which, you know, it's something that's been floating around. I can't remember the name of the author who actually put it together, but it's not something that is unique to him. It should be fairly well known. But it's about toxic charity that that you give once and you create an appreciation. You know, if I, if I help somebody out, a lot of times they, they'll feel appreciation, although this could change. It's not the same all the time. It depends on the individual. The individual who's used to, who has developed an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force. 
you know, have, have become accustomed to living at the expense of others. I can help them out. They won't appreciate it. That they'll think, yeah, well, yeah, everybody owes me a living. But uh, all things being equal, somebody falls in a ditch and you help them out, they appreciate it. But if they can go back and fall in that ditch again, you know, and uh, you give to them, then now, now you're creating the temptation of anticipation where they're going to start expecting somebody to help them. Well, as the story goes, the third time you give to them, it's not just anticipation, but expectation. And then by the fourth time, they think they're they're so accustomed to being helped out that it becomes like an entitlement. But the fifth time, they've established a dependency. And if you withhold your aid, they will burn down your city. They will hate you. They will kill you. Because you're withholding what they've come to expect. The entitlement that they have become dependent upon. And that's not the only process that takes place during legal charity. But that is certainly a part of it. You know, you don't have to wait to your fifth welfare check before you become dependent. You're probably dependent already by the by the second, if not the first. I, I saw an interview of a guy who was a beach bum, a surfer beach bum. And he was getting food stamps, welfare. He was supposedly unemployable. He was smoking doobies. And, but he was going to a barbecue with a bunch of other buddies. And he was bringing stuff that he got with food stamps. And the stuff he can't get with food stamps, somebody else would bring. You know, and so they were going to have a big party uh, at your expense. He wasn't going to go to work. He says, it's a lifestyle. That, that's the way he thinks it ought to be. And more and more, that's the way people think. And yes, we did Ecclesiastes 12 this morning. I, I mentioned the principles of this. So There's a lot of different ways to say it. You know, I mean, he talks about remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. That means a long time ago. Not just your personal youth, but in the youth of your nation. And he talks about when things were not dark. Now they're darkened. And, and people believe lies. Easily believe lies. I mean, if I told you five years ago that somebody could claim there was a pandemic when there wasn't actually a serious pandemic and even more serious than regular flu. Maybe a little bit worse in some seasons, a little bit better than others. And that's exactly what took place. There wasn't the many deaths from the flu, as everybody said. They changed the way in which they counted deaths. We know that. It's a matter of record. You, you may not want to believe it. You may think it's some kind of QAnon conspiracy, but it's a matter of record. Anybody who takes the time to say, but a lot of people won't take the time to study because of the almond tree. Remember the almond tree this morning when you were, we were tell, telling you about the almond tree? <laughs> yeah. Down there in verse 5, and the almond tree shall flourish. 
It doesn't mean old injury. It doesn't mean we'll flourish. But we'll we'll talk more about that later. But the grinding, the graders cease because there are few. The people winnowing out the grain, the trashing the grain, grinding the grain. The workers are getting few and few and few. Yeah, I remember once I was in an economics class back in 1963 or 64. Wait a minute, I was trying to think of what school was I in at that particular. Might have been 65. Might have been 65. And they were giving a formula on how to determine whether or not your economy was a good and flourishing economy. You know, you know, and there were the parameters that you would look at, you know, gross national product and, you know, uh, ratios to gross national product and debt and all these kinds of things. And I pointed out if a great deal of the gross national product is not essential then one of the factors that you're including in your formula is not going to actually tell you how strong your economy is. It may talk about how robust it is at a given moment. It's the value of what is being produced. If you're producing things that are not of great value, you know, like if one of your big industries is the entertainment industry, which is not an unessential industry, but it doesn't sustain life. It doesn't feed the baby, so to speak. So if a great deal of your industry is service-oriented and services that are not essential for life, then you may measure your economy by the parameters he was laying down in the formula that he was presenting in class from the book. But it's not actually giving you an accurate uh, view of the actual strength of the economy because he hasn't taken all the factors into into consideration. And so you would need to factor in another element. This is one of the things that one of the greatest economists of our time was doing all the time. Well, of course, it's Milton Friedman, but of course I'm talking about Thomas Sowell because Thomas Sowell looked at all the facts. And he had all the all a great juggler of information. He could He could keep all those balls in the air. And in a uniform pattern, and they all fit. And he was catching them all. He was great. And he still is great. But I can't say the same about the people who are interpreting the Bible. The people who are teaching the Bible based on their interpretations and the interpretations they got in the seminary. I had already been to the seminary by 1965. I was attending St. Joseph's College in at least 1963, 62. And that's where I was going to the seminary. But I was seeing the same things there. There were certain elements, you know, that they were teaching. And I would say, yep, but if if this is so, what about this factor? And of course, in that economics class, I remember one of the smartest guys in the economic class. I mean, this guy was a straight-A student. He was great at memorization. He could go down and memorize every single one of those theorems put them all into place, and, you know, he's good at mathematics. He and I were one of the few guys, some of the few guys who were passing with a good grade algebra, too, at that, uh, our second year of algebra at that school. 
And uh, mostly the people weren't passing because of the fact that the teacher couldn't speak English. <laughs> his syntax was horrible. His pronunciation was dreadful. And he wasn't good at reading his audience. And he would ask, everybody on the And they didn't. I can look around and see the blank looks on their face. They did not get that. That explanation was inadequate. I got it because I had read the book. I was reading the book ahead of him. I just gave up on him and just started reading the book and teaching myself. And the other guy was just really sharp, and he was getting it. So I stood up, and I, I, I told him. I raised my hand, stood up, and said, the reason all these guys are failing your class is because you're not very clear when you're teaching this subject for the same reasons I already mentioned. Well, of course, he did not like that. Well, you know, it's the truth. That's the problem. That's, that's the thing with all the trees. People don't like them. <laughs> We're going to have to figure out what, what, what I mean, almond trees. Because that was, it was actually a revelation that took place this morning, live on the show. Where all of a sudden, I, I, I had had an inkling before, but I get so many interruptions. People calling me from all over the country. People contacting me. People wanting me to do this, that, and the other thing. And, and I, I want to do for all these people, but it spreads me thin, which is, of course, why Christ said we had to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So we redistribute the responsibilities back to the people, because if the people don't take back their responsibilities, they will not be free. They will not be free. And so they have, and, and their responsibilities include their duty. To God and their fellow man, which is what pure religion is, is the practice of and the performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. It isn't going to church and listening to songs and pretending to worship God because you're praising God. Because God's got some sort of inadequate ego that he needs people worshiping him and, and hailing him and, and talking about how great he is all the time. How much they love him. And they think that's worship. The worship is service. That's what worship is. Doing. Jesus said it. Not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. I mean, like, how are you interpreting that? It's not even open to interpretation. Not those who say, Lord, Lord. Not those who go to church and sing songs and say how much they love Jesus. But those who actually are doing the will of the Father. And it's not the will of the Father that you bite one another. It's, it's not the will of the Father that you ask the government to bite your neighbor so that you can get more food on your, you know, like your, you know, like some vulture goes out there and uh, tears off pieces of flesh off of dead and dying animals, hauls it back to their nest and feeds their young. I've never seen, I, there must be video. I should look it up. You know, I've seen bald eagles tearing off meat. I've seen osprey tearing off meat. Or even bringing fish and feeding it to their young. But vultures must do the same thing. Or do they just fill their bellies and they regurgitate it like some birds do when they get back to the nest? I don't know. I don't know. But somehow or other, vultures feed their, you know, their children. Vultures got to live too. Worms got to live too. (laughs) You know. The vulture eats between his meals. That's the reason why. 
he very, very rarely feels as well as you or I. His eyes are dull, his head is bald, his neck is growing thinner. Well, what a lesson for us all to only eat at dinner. <laughs> so, so poetry, so we even have poetry on Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, that's something I memorized years ago, I mean, half a century ago or more. And I, I've repeated it to my children when they want to eat between the meals. <laughs> so you can imagine how popular my poetry is with them. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them repeated it back to themselves <laughs> as they were growing up. But, so what, what's the deal? Why can't we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is a network of people that take care of one another through charity by casting their bread upon the waters, like Ecclesiastes says, what, as Jesus said, who, who give, freely give, as John the Baptist said, as, as Moses said, as all the prophets said. Casting you know, bread upon the waters in the hopes that it may come back to you after many days. Or do you only want to give where you're pretty sure it's going to come back to you, like you help with those people that love you? Well, the fact is, that isn't even a guarantee because there's no guarantee that your kids will even help you. So, you know, what is the deal? How, how does this all work? But back to Ecclesiastes, which we started looking at a little bit this morning, and I will add more to the page so that everybody can get it, but in that verse 5, it says, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high. Now, even that word afraid of, shall be afraid of. I mean, we're supposed to fear the Lord, but is that really the word afraid of? I haven't even looked it up. Uh, I don't have it before me in the Hebrew, but it would be interesting to look that word up to understand what they mean by afraid of that which is high. Is it it afraid of God, avoiding God? And then it says, fear shall be in the way. Not in your way, but in the way that you're going. Fear will control your way. And then it says, and the almond tree shall flourish. What? Now, when I first read that, I knew it, but then I get these interruptions, and I didn't get back to it before the show, and then I read it again, and I said, I got to go look that Hebrew up. And so I went and looked it up. Shem Kuf, hey, that's, that's what it is. Shem Kuf, hey, what, what can I say? <laughs> Shem Kuf, hey, what is it, what do you think it is in the actual Hebrew? There is a word Shem Kuf, hey, but... It's actually to give to drink. That's what Shem Kuf Hay actually means. But to give uh, the almond tree is Shem Kuf Delet. And the actual words in the sentence that we see in Ecclesiastes 12.5 is Hey Shem Kuf Delet. So they put a hay in front of it. And the, the literal, you know, when I said that it flourished, they put a word there they say means flourish. But the root word is nun elef, I think it's said it. Yeah, it, but the word that you actually see in the text, I'm looking at the word in the text now, I have a copy of the text, is uh, bab yad. Then Elif 
Zedek. Okay, because Zedek is written different when it's at the end of the word than when it's in the middle of the word. Just heads up if you're looking around, if you're trying to read the Hebrew. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, and, and you have to know these things in order to read the Hebrew. And it helps you know if you're at the end of the word or not. You know what I'm saying? Because they're tacking on extra letters a lot of times. And if they tack on an extra letter, then it may not mean exactly the same thing. So, but they say, and the almond tree shall flourish in the King James. Well, in other translations, it actually talks about blossoms. When the almond tree blossoms, which would be like when it flourishes. Well, the word there, like I say, is nun elephetic, which is an interesting word in itself. You know, nun, that's the fish word. Elef is the relationship of God and man. And the last word, tzedek, is righteousness. So those three letters are combined to create the word blossom. Why? Well, that makes perfect sense. If you think in pictures. <laughs> Nun is the fish swimming in the water. And elef is the relationship of God and man. And punctuating that relationship with the action verb at the end of the sentence would be righteousness. So the righteous relationship of God and man in motion in the water of life. What is that? Expect to blossom. Expect, expect to flourish. So, that's, that's, so it kind of makes sense that that word actually means to flourish. Problem is, most of the time that it appears in the Bible, according to at least the Masoretic text and Strong's Concordance, that numbers a lot of these words and decides which word is which. Because, like I said, the base root is those three letters, but there may be other letters added on. And, of course, in this case, we see other letters added on. First the Bob and then the Yod. Now, the Bob, when you see that at the beginning of a word, that is usually adding the word and, or the idea of putting an and in the sentence, like we use the word and. It, it is an introductory word that is actually connecting it with what went before, and blossom, and flourish. And so, and it kind of helps organize the syntax of the sentence. But the yod, why is the yod there? Yod is the divine spark. You see, and of course, you're not going to have righteousness. You're you're not going to have the righteous relationship of God and man. And you're not going to be able to implement it as you walk through life or swim through the world. If you don't have the divine spark. If you're not moving from the divine spark, which is over there at the beginning of the word. You see? But then that doesn't solve the problem of why most of the time when the word appears in the Bible, it is translated despise. <laughs> Why is that? Or, or what, is, what is it? I'll look down here and this. Uh, eight times it's translated despise. Provoke, five times. Abhor, four times. Uh, contemn, twice. Flourish, once. One time it's translated flourish. 
great occasion to blaspheme. That's what it's actually translated, the great occasion to blaspheme. And I'm not sure where that is, but we could find that out and take a look at the letters in that. And there may be other letters associated with it or the context of the sentence that gives us this idea. But how in the world did that become blossom? Uh, based on Nun Elephetic. Uh, and, of course, now they do put, you know, they do have the, the Vav, which is the and blossom, but they have the Yod there. Does the Yod change that? It could. We, we could say that the Yod is what's causing that to be that way. But of all those other places where the word shows up, how is how do do we see Yad in any of those? Well, actually, there are a couple that have a Yad, or at least a Bob, at the beginning. Okay, well, it says there's two occasions, although this particular arrangement of Bob, Yad, Nun, Elif, there's theoretically only one. But I see another. Uh, actually, both in Deuteronomy and Lamentations, you'll find the Vav, uh, Yad, good. But they don't list it normally with this particular, but it actually is not translated flourish, it's translated spurned, and spurned because the Vav is the and, or and he uh, hath despised which you see in Lamentations 2.6. But they're both Bob Yad with the same Elephetic. So how are they coming to these other conclusions to translate them this way? Because see, if, if, when you look at just the Strong's number, it's not telling you all this stuff. You, you can't just look up the Strong's number and, oh, that's what it means. Because it isn't necessarily what it means at all. And we see Vav Nun Elif Tzedek Vav Nun Yad them and which in Deuteronomy thirty one twenty which is them and provoke me serve them and promote provoke me so God's talking about you you serve others and provoke me well of course that's what modern Christendom is. They're serving the gods of the world who they've given power to bite their neighbor so that they can have benefits for free in a system of legal charity which is contrary to the ways of Christ but conforming to the ways of the Corbin of the Pharisees. And they're serving those gods, those ruling judges. And they're not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And, of course, that's provoking God to bring the wrath of God. So, what's the deal? Uh, As a matter of fact, there's other usages where we see the same word uh, appear with just the yod, no and in front of it. And it's translated provoke in King James, and that's in Numbers 14.11. And we can see it, uh, let's see, there's a couple other places here. I can look up all these. 
I do find mistakes in this particular software from time to time, but yeah, and that's where we see translated blaspheme is in Psalms 74.10. Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name? Spurn thy name. So, you know, that kind of means, but how do we get over to flourish and blossom? Because it doesn't mean flourish and blossom. 99% of the time. It means blaspheme, spurn, provoke. Yet here, they're saying it's making the almond tree blossom. So what's the problem there? That word just can't be blossom. Doesn't seem to make any sense. Because it's not an almond tree. <laughs> so we have to go back to the almond tree, which is the shin, kuf, delet. And, and if we look at, uh, you know, now, some people accuse me of retranslating the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Hebrew says. I'm not retranslating. You can go to almond tree there if you want. And, and, and it looks like the word for almond tree. I mean, shin, kuf, uh, delet. But it begins with the letter hey, which is an emphasis letter. What, which actually what is more interesting is the next word and is a burden. The grasshoppers are a burden. Because the, the grasshoppers, and I put a link in there so you can go to our articles on grasshoppers and locusts and swarms of offices that eat out our substance so that you can have free benefits. Healthcare and welfare and all that stuff. And you don't mind that. And your preachers don't tell you because all your pastors are British pastors. They're nice guys. They're sweet guys. Some of them are really nice. Sometimes they'll give you a shirt off their back, but they're just not preaching the gospel. And it's a, it's a terrible deal to not preach the gospel. But the word burden, to bear, to bear a load, to drag oneself along. You know, it, it, that's what the Hebrew word means. And if we look at it just in its uh, uh, cabal, that's the word. I just wanted to make sure it was. I thought it was uh, cabal, which is uh, sumach, uh, be it, uh, lamai. That's the basic word. Sumach, be it, lamai. But that's not what you see in the text. In the text, you see Vav, Yod. Again, another Vav, Yod. But of course, again, the Vav is suggesting and, and it says, and is a burden. The Dhamma tree blossoms, but the grasshoppers are a burden. And the grasshoppers are a burden. But the burden is not Semek, be it, Lamad. It's Semek, Tav, be it, Lamad. Because you have faith in the burden, in the cabal. <laughs> the conspiracy nuts will go nuts with that. The burden is the burden of the cabal. Of course, now, I'm not going to blame any mysterious cabal or, uh, you know, uh, some strange New World Order 
guys working behind the scenes. The problem is us. The problem is us. Because we've, we're in the way of fear. We're afraid to actually do what Christ said, which is sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start casting your bread upon. I can't cast my bread upon the waters. I might need that bread. You have to cast your bread upon the waters. <laughs> in hopes that it might come back to you after many days. You have to cast your bread upon the waters. That's, that's, that's part of the formula. But the elementary still bugs me. What's with this elementary? And, and you know, like I, Originally, I was saying shin, kuf, hey, which is actually the word to give, to drink, to irrigate, to drink water, to cause to drink water. Now, I irrigate all the time. Go out there, move water around on the desert. Very important how you move the water around on the desert so that everything gets to drink. If if you don't do that, you're in a lot of trouble. But shin, kuf, hey is not the word we're dealing with. The word we're dealing with is in Kuf Delet. And they say that means almond tree. And it certainly is translated uh, almond or almond tree, you know, four times. Actually, more than that. Because if you give it another Strong's number, instead of 8247, you give it 8246, still spelled Shim Kuf Delet. But six times it appears as almond. And, but it's defined as cups shaped like an almond blossom. Which an almond blossom, if you, I have some pictures, I can send them to you on my phone, of almond, we have almond tree right outside my window here. And the blossoms, amazing pink blossoms, but they're all like cup shaped, almost like little tulips. And they just cover the tree. Beautiful. You don't always get good omens from that tree, but it covers them. <laughs> Partly because of where we live. But that's not the only word that is spelled shin kuf. Because they got another one. They give it a strong number, oh, uh, 8245. And they say it means to wake, to watch, to awake, to be alert, to keep watch of, to be wakeful over. Okay, so if it doesn't mean almond tree, but it means to watch or to be awake, and, and the word that they say means blossom or flourish, actually means despise. What they're talking about is people who despise to be awake, who hold in contempt, blaspheming against being awake. They... They hear the truth and they want to shut you up. Because they hate the truth. They spurn the truth. They hold the truth in contempt. Because they believe they already know. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear a big long thing. I already know. No, you don't. You would be angry if you didn't. If you already knew. Because if you knew God, you can't be angry because you've given judgment to God. There's no judgment in your heart for others. Even the wicked. Even those that betray you. Even those that despise you. There would be no anger for them. Because you're 
You're seeking to walk in faith. Now, you can't walk in faith without the Holy Spirit. You can't do it. You need the yacht. You need the divine spark. That's why they put it there. And, and you need that really bad. <laughs> in order to uh, uh, avoid the borders in the streets. Which there's going to be a lot of boarding in the streets. But you've got the grasshoppers. You got people who don't want to hear the truth. I don't want to hear it. I've had people tell me that. I know what you say is true, but I don't want to hear it. <laughs> what can I do? People have to admit they're wrong. That takes humility. That takes some real search, soul searching. How do you think I got to these conclusions? I was willing to admit I was wrong. And I'm sure there's a lot of things I need to admit that I'm wrong about. I don't mind doing the work and I don't mind people calling me if they feel led by the Holy Spirit. But don't call me out of sloth. Don't call me to get a free answer. We don't charge for our calls. We don't charge for our time. But where else would you get such important information so cheap? Well, one of the things, one of the prices you have to pay is you have to do your homework. And, of course, your homework is not just studying, but it's doing. Because you have to be diligent to show thyself approved. Not just study. So, anyway, back to the almond trees. Very pretty. Uh, is that the way the song is, almond tree? <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. Poetry is enough. You don't want to hear me sing. So, anyway, those who despise being awake which would fall on the woke crowd. The woke crowd despise being awake so much that they call it being woke, not being awake. <laughs> but it's not the only place that we see this word shin, kuf, delet. Because it also appears one time in the Bible. And it uh, is translated bound. So what why does, why is this word, out of all the words in the Bible, why does this word spell the same way as awake appear in a verse, but is given a different Strong's number and translated bound and said to be a root word? It is defined as to bind, bind, on, be kept on, but then it says being doubtful. So where does that appear? Well, it's in Lamentations 1.14. The yoke of my transgression is bound by his hand. They are wreathed and come up upon my neck. The yoke of my trans transgression is yoked upon my neck. He hath made my strength to fall. The Lord hath delivered me into their hands, from whom I am not able to rise up. Now, to be honest, their hands, there is no word there in the Hebrew text. Somebody added that to make it sound like it makes sense. But sometimes when they do that, it's a good thing. But sometimes when they do that, they create more confusion. And the words, from whom, which are almost necessary after you put their hands, uh, that's not in the original text. 
I am not able to rise up. That is in the text. Although, we can take a look at the words that mean that. Because in Ecclesiastes, if we you go back and read that chapter, or you listen to that study again, we talked about this idea of rise up. But they despise being awake. They, they are bound by their own anger and... Uh, you know, what, what, what do you call the people you know, that throw these fits on the street? The Karens. don't want to pick on Karens. Uh, is there a name for the guys who throw those fits? Are they kins? <laughs> there must be a name for them, too. Uh, it would be chauvinistic to not have a name for the guys who throw these fits. But they, they seem almost obsessed. Out of control. Well, they are bound. They they have no control because they despise being awake. They despise knowing the truth. Okay, so we have uh, Ella Dubai. <laughs> I don't know who that is. But anyway, uh, he says he has a question concerning today's talk. He grew up with the concept that all of the religious groups say that all roads lead to God. Christianity is the only way to God. Well, all roads lead to a God. They don't all lead to the God. <laughs> but being on a round planet, no matter how far you go down one road, you may end up back at God. But sometimes that long road is around. Uh, I am always saying all roads lead to Rome. All roads lead to the kingdom of God. The question is, which I add to that, it's the direction you're going. And the direction is, is has to do with the means as much, and the means and method as much as the actual transition on the road. You know, there's an old saying, all roads lead to Rome. That's an ancient saying. And so I just took that and said, all roads lead to Rome, all roads lead to the kingdom of God, but it's all about direction, and direction is about implementation of how you are going down that road. And that the, the key to that is, are you living by faith, hope, and charity? That's the engine that drives your life. Or are you living by greed and avarice and force and fear and fealty? Are you living by covetous practices, taking a bite out of your neighbor through men who exercise authority? Or are you just coveting your own wealth and you won't share it with anybody else except for those that are really close to you? All those is the method and the means by which you go down the road. Because the kingdom of God is not a location. You know, Rome might be a location, but it's also a metaphor. All roads lead to Rome. Well, which Rome? The Republic Rome? Or the Empire Rome? You know, where they had, where they had set up a semi- uh, indirect democracy, where the Senate developed legislative powers, and eventually the president of the Senate, the president of Rome, was emperors like Augustus Caesar. He was one of the first ones to become. There was, you know, a trick question my son used to ask people was, who was the first president? Because George Washington wasn't the first president, because the president is really the president of Congress. <laughs> he's not just a president he's the chief executive officer 
in the government that includes a Congress and a judiciary. And they made him separate, but that's what he's the president of. He wasn't the president of individual citizens in the states. The states, even after the Constitution, was as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. Clark Summary of U.S. American Law, most fundamental law book explaining uh, the laws in the United States, including constitutional law. That originally the states were as separate to each other after the acceptance of the Constitution as Mexico is to Canada. They were separate countries. The sovereign state of Texas. Now they're not sovereign anymore. And the citizens are no longer the citizens of Texas. They may call themselves that. But really, they're residents of Texas, which they also call, call themselves. You can't be a resident and a citizen. So you're a resident of Texas, but you're a citizen of the United States. Did not exist in 1799. There were no citizens of the United States. There were citizens of states. Citizens of the United States came along after the Civil War through a creeping process of legal changes that began to function in that government. But people don't study. They don't know the history of this. They don't know this. They went to public school. So Rome win. Rome the Republic? If we're seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we're headed towards Rome, the original republic, which was called Libera Res Publica, which they shortened up to Res Publica, which shortened up to Republic. But Libera Res Publica means free from things public. That was 500 years before the first Caesar. When Caesar arrived on the scene, Tacitus writes, Libera Res Publica was a dream that could never really exist. But, of course, it did exist. It existed in Israel because that's exactly the government that Moses was setting up. It was a government where the people were the courts. They had basic law, Ten Commandments. They, they did not have statutes as laws. They did not have ordinances laws, because the same word they translate statutes, they also translate ordinance. But these are actually judgments. They're examples. It's what we would call in the common law precedent. Moses is saying, guy digs a pit along a trail, somebody falls in because he didn't take the precautions to protect people from falling in that pit, and nobody was expecting a pit along the traveled road, he created a hazard and he can be held responsible for the injuries that he causes. If he builds a balcony, but he makes a crummy railing around it and somebody leans on the railing and just falls off because it's terrible. I actually know a carpenter who did that, built a railing. Somebody just barely touched it and it fell off. <laughs> of course, fortunately, he was only a couple feet off the ground. But if he was on the second floor, somebody could have got hurt. He could be held responsible. These are just judgments. If you actually look at the Hebrew word, we'll get through this, through this study on Exodus. And Moses laid these out. But basically, the law was in the hands of the people in, who were organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So if you had a dispute in your congregation, ten men, your minister, and his minister would sit down and decide fact and law. 
This is where the common law gets it. They get it right out of the Bible. And that is one of the things where Christ said that the Pharisees were failing to attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. They were failing to do that. All modern Christians fail to do that. They don't do that. They don't even know about jury nullification. They go on jury duty, they will raise their right hand once they're sitting in the box, and they will swear to waive their right to decide fact and law. And they will agree to decide this according to somebody else's conscience. The law according to somebody. They just waive the right that Moses obtained for you when he took you out of the bondage of Egypt. Now, it's absolutely reasonable that they would do something that stupid. Because they've already returned to the bondage of Egypt. Because they've waived a right to a portion of their labor in order to get free benefits from the federal pharaohs of the United States. And they've all become federal citizens of the United States. They've all gone back into the bondage of Egypt. So their road, the means that they were traveling on their road, has brought them back to Rome, the empire, and away from the kingdom of God. It has brought them back to the bondage of Egypt and away from the righteousness of God. Now, if they change vehicles, repent, <laughs> change their the engine in their vehicle so it's running differently, then they can start moving towards the kingdom of God. They're on the same road. They might even be going north, east, south, west, the same direction. It's a metaphor. Don't take the metaphor too far. But now they're headed to the kingdom because now they're operating by faith, hope, and charity, which is love. They're attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, and mercy, and faith. They are now in the business of forgiveness. And they're casting their bread upon the waters. And they're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, like Christ commanded. Because they're actually doers of what Christ said to do. They're not just playing church. They're actually doing what God said to do. So I'm going to refer to this as Ella. Uh, I, I, I'm suspecting that her name is Ella. <laughs> or Ellen. But anyway, Ella I don't even know if it's a her. If it's not a her, sorry, I misgendered you. <laughs> so anyway. But uh, thank you for that question. I, it was a good uh, sidetrack uh, on this. So anyway, and if you have another question or if you need any more, I, I, can, I have it open still. So I have a letter here that I said was from a guy. He's in Santa Margarita, California. We call him Caleb. And that may be his name. He's got to be up there. He must be almost 90 years old now. He was old when he was visiting us. <laughs> but he's still sending us this newsletter. My wife uh, read it and, and asked me a question about it. And, of course, in the, the newsletter, he's talking about a message that was popular back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s from a guy named Robert Bruce Record. And uh, it was called the National Message, I think, his program of... Uh, I'm not familiar with it, but I've read the letter, kind of skimmed to it. And Robert, Robert uh, 
Robert Bruce, I thought that was interesting. Robert Bruce uh, offered uh, this uh, Bible study pamphlets, which he had ordered and read. And one of them was, Why Must a Man Be Born Again? Now, we have pamphlets. You can download them, print them out yourself. They're all free. If you want me to take out time of my day to print it out and get paper and all this stuff, uh, yeah, we will charge for them. But they're all available for free. But he says, in that little pamphlet, he says, Man Be Born Again. Well, boy, now that's a can of worms. Born again. <laughs> Most people who think they're born again, they're not really born again. They're just they're just deluding themselves. Most that I have met. Now, I can't say most of all the people in the world because I've met all the people in the world. But I see an awful... And, and it's really easy to determine whether you're born again. You just have to read the rest of that chapter because it tells you. And... You might have to also understand that you're not supposed to be coveting your neighbor's goods, but that's kind of a, somebody doesn't like it when I say no-brainer, but that's no-brainer because it's right in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And, and Peter goes on to remind you that through covetous practices, you'll, you'll be made merchandise, and you'll curse your children. And, of course, being made merchandise means you'll be brought back into the bondage of Egypt where a portion of your labor will belong to the government. That's already a done deal. You're already merchandise. You're already, I mean, they, they call the Department of Human Resources because you're a human resource. That makes you merchandise. That's the same word, the same meaning. See, if you think of pictures, you'll start seeing the over, well, that's the same as this, and that's the same as this. Slightly different pictures, but pretty much the same thing. So it's, it's really clear that most people who think they're born again are just under a strong delusion. And, and, of course, James tells us what to look for to find out if people are born again or if people are following Christ because they're going to be doing certain things certain ways. And that's just the way it is. So, anyway, he says, how is it that the mind of the natural man is in such condition and state? And, and he he goes back and he's quoting, you know, he refers to John 3, 7. And we have an article up Born Again. We can maybe look at that and help people. But, but I kind of covered that. We want to keep moving or I will be here all the way to the 3 o'clock time. We've got one hour in anyway. So now we'll spend this hour looking at the letter unless somebody comes up with another great question. But uh, man has what is called in the Bible carnal mind, which means fleshy mind. Or a mind which a man is born physically. That mind is declared in Romans 8, 7 to be enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, Yahweh, neither indeed can be. Well, for one thing, that is just terribly worded in order to understand these things. It, you, you can, it can lead you down to all kinds of roads of misunderstanding. So, let's take this word carnal mind. Carnal mind is a mind of flesh. Okay? What does that mean? Because flesh is a metaphor, but there's actual real flesh. There is a real fresh flesh brain up there in your head. And, and the same as everybody else's brain and everybody else's head. So what is really meant by carnal mind? Because you're translating Greek into English and you come up with carnal mind. Well, if we go all the way back to Genesis, go back to the beginning, was there anything in reference to a carnal mind 
in Genesis that can be associated with the idea of a fleshy mind, brain, cardinal mind, because a mind is a brain, kind of. Well, of course, you have a brain in your head, and it's full of nerves. And, you know, on our page, you probably look up our page on mind, and you'll see pictures there. We have a picture that uh, one that looks like a tree, but the tree almost is in the shape of a man's head. And all these branches, are, and of course, you've seen the pictures of the nervous system of the human body, and you have all these nerves going up and down the arms and the legs and everything and up into the brain. That nervous system is all part of your brain. Uh, there's actually brain cells in your stomach. There's brain cells in other parts of your body, small numbers of them, but there's still brain cells. And you think with your whole body. Well, most people, their consciousness seems to be resting in their heads because it's the direct contact with the eyes, etc. But some people don't think in their heads, believe it or not. That's rare. They don't tell you. They don't go around saying, you know, I don't think up in my head. I think down in my stomach. (laughs) But that's actually the case. But that mind, that fleshy mind, that nervous system, that is the cardinal mind. And it can be affected by chemicals. You know, I could give you LSD. I could give you mushrooms. And, and it, can, it can cause that mind to go off track, weird places, change your emotions. It can do all kinds of things. Because that brain is subject to the chemistry in the physical world around it. But another synonym for the cardinal mind is the tree of knowledge. <laughs> That's the tree of knowledge is your cardinal mind. It is your fleshy mind. Your fleshy mind can do a lot of things. It can figure out a lot of things. It can record information. It can help you access the past and even the future as an instrument. It can help you access the past and the future, as well as give you a perspective on the present, what's around you. I mean, you look around, your eyes see walls, you know, you're going down the road, they say, oh, I don't want to drive off there, I'll go off a cliff, you know. So the, all that information is coming in your brain. You know, and of course, if you're a Luke Skywalker, they want you to not depend entirely upon the input from your eyes. So you have to put on the visor and play lightsabers with out seeing. You have to reach out and feel the world around you with some other force. Of course, that's a movie. We don't want to carry the movie metaphors too far. But this is the divine spark. will also give you a revelation where you'll read something in the Bible about almond trees and you'll say, something's wrong with that. That almond tree is not really an almond tree. That's something else. And you, following your track or your knowledge, you can find out what that is. Somebody asked me just today, how did you know that there was another word? That, that well, I knew it before I looked it up. But I didn't know what it was. I'm not that good. <laughs> and so, uh, but I, I knew it would probably smell the same. Because sometimes it's not spelled the same because you have to remember all the spelling that you see. Oh, she is Ella. (laughs) Well, she says, I'm Ella from Morella. (laughs) Okay, I might still have 
uh, religious mindset. Who doesn't? Well, we all do. Even the atheists have a religious mindset. They just don't realize their religion is atheism. But this saying was kind of hard to grasp because the way I perceived it was like no matter what you're doing or which direction you're going, all roads lead to God at the end. Thank you for the explanation. Well, you know, and this is because we're dealing with words, which are finite. All roads do kind of lead to God. But on what condition? You know, because at the end of our road, when death comes, I hope that God's there. <laughs> well, the reality is, hell is swimming in a universe that God made. This is one of the things that we may get to if we have enough time in this show. Because when I was reading this, it occurred to me, and I can't remember where, but when I get to it, I will know it. Is that God created the universe. The whole universe. And there are those that are one with God. Jesus is one with God. I go, I don't, they, they talk about Michael the archangel and uh, what are some of the other names that they had for angels. And of course, I'm not naming these guys and I'm not saying these are names. I'm just saying this is, this is the story and this is the vocabulary they give us. But there is no reason to believe that there aren't other creatures, spiritual or otherwise, out there that are one with God. In other words, they are uniform with the will of God. They do the will of God. They don't do contrary to the will of God. That And they're in touch with God a lot better than I am. I have every reason to believe that that exists. And uh, I can tell you stories. But, <laughs> but the reality is, is that uh, the devil whoever the devil is, Satan, you know. And, you know, I remember Bob Holstrom who said, there is no devil, that they're talking about government. Well, there is a devil. I don't know if his name is Satan. Satan just means adversary. It's, it's a word that means adversary. And all evil is, once you understand that evil is the absence of good, just like darkness is the absence of light, well, rooms can be dark, but not pitch black. So that's the gray area. But it's still, it's a gray area because of an absence of light. And just like I say, the, the British pastors out there are not preaching the kingdom. and They may be great guys and they may, may not be far from the kingdom. But our goal is all the way. Our goal is constantly to get closer and closer to God. Even Moses couldn't look at God. He could kind of look at God's backside through this little crack. That's it. But we want to be able to widen that crack. In order to do that, we have to widen our hearts and open up our hearts to God. It's an infinite God. We will never know Him entirely. We don't have the capacity. The same is we cannot decide what is good and evil with the capacity of our mental brain, our cardinal mind, our tree of knowledge. But we can access the divine through the tree of life. It may be only a little divine spark of revelation, but every one of us can access that. And how do you get close enough to access that? We have to get closer than most of you are right now. 
<laughs> and and I mean that's just electricity, you know, that if you touch somebody who has a positive charge, then a spark will come. Before you even touch them, if you get close enough to them, the spark may jump out and touch you. Well, that's what you you want to get closer and closer to God. And one of the ways to do that is to do the th- one of the ways is to do what Christ said. So on whatever road you're on in your life, you want to go down that road more like Christ today than you were yesterday. And tomorrow you want to go even more like Christ than you were today. Because the more you do it like Christ, the more the closer you will get to the Holy Spirit. Not because your emotion, but because the Holy Spirit lists this where it wills. And it draws the Holy Spirit to you when you go the way of Christ. Now, that's full of, because that's full of words, that's full of metaphors. And and nobody's going to completely understand all those metaphors, but that's why God gives you life. As Ecclesiastes is constantly saying, under the sun. As long as you're under the sun, and even sometimes when you're not under the sun, <laughs> uh, you can still grow in your relationship with God. And I'm just showing you a lot of things that have become acceptable in the world that actually get in the way of a relationship with God. One of those things is fear, which we talked about this morning. But now this is all about Adam and Eve, supposedly, and this carnal mind. So understanding that the carnal mind is the tree of knowledge. And God gave us this tree of knowledge. It's okay to have the tree of knowledge. But it isn't to help you understand good and evil. It's simply knowledge and information. The only thing that will clearly help you understand good and evil is the divine spark, the tree of life. So anyway, that's that's the basic premise. He goes on here, there is the teaching uh, abroad that the disobedience of Adam was passed on to his posterity and that therefore all of Adam's race are disobedient as a result. But if sin entered into the world by and through Adam disobedience and was the characteristic passed on to all of Adam's offspring then we have another passage of scripture to consider which says that the sins of the father shall be visited unto the children to the third and fourth generation even unto the seventh generation but the reality is is you say to the third or fourth generation, well, what happened if the third generation commits the same sin? Does that extend it out for another fourth generation? <laughs> it's metaphors. Does that get carried away with the metaphors? Uh, the reality is, is that well, the spirit that dwelleth in your parents, this, this is why people have to be very careful about who they marry and always seek wise counseling. Ultimately, it's you and the Holy Spirit, but be very careful because you're bringing other spirits in. You can bring other spirits into your house with your friends, and and they they can they can do all kinds of damage. And uh, if somebody's on a road moving towards less than Holy Spirits, uh, and they're 
like divorce and they still want visitation, well, they can have an effect on your child. It's their child too, maybe, but they can have an effect on your child. So how do you combat that? Well, I gave you a little hint this morning when I told the story about the guy who was feeding all these toxic foods that should actually affect the test subject, the animals, and change their blood to a high cholesterol blood. And it was doing it with some of the animals, but some of the animals, it was not doing it. And they were taken care of by a different guy. And that guy, before he fed them this food, he would pet them. And he would treat them nice. And he would talk to them. And he fed them the toxic food. I mean, it wasn't poison, poison, but it wasn't their normal diet. They had another control group that was receiving the normal diet. But these lived as if they got their normal diet. They did not show the toxicity that the other group did. Simply because, and there's lots of experiments like this, with to uh, lots of things. And there's lots of, you know, stories that I can tell you where attitude changed everything. I mean, it, 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 when I say attitude, I'm not just talking about positive thinking, but I'm talking about the, the mind of Christ. We talk about the cardinal mind. Let's talk about the mind of Christ. Whatever, what does that mean? Uh, Christ was really, really, really good at forgiveness. He was really, really good at telling the truth. He was also pretty good at not casting his pearls before swine. So you want the mind of Christ. So every chance you get, practice forgiveness. Practice patience. You know, uh, even when guys are saying stuff to him that he knew was flat out wrong, he says, you tell me nothing, I'll tell you nothing. He did do that, but he didn't say, I don't want to hear any more from you guys. He would listen. You know, I mean, sure, he would go away. At times. And he seemed to get a little impatient. Seemed to. Difficult to tell from the Greek. Seemed to get a little impatient with his uh, his uh, disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. Seemed to. But uh, he seems to be impatient with the money changers. I mean, the way you see it in Hollywood. I mean, he's running around with this whip. Whipping the poor money changers. Uh, if... If there was an old kid there, I could imagine Jesus winking at the little kid with a smile on his face as he was turning over the tables. Because I don't really believe that he was running around picking up the tables and tipping them over and changing them running on the floor. Because I look at the words, turning over the tables, and I know who the money changers were. They were the porters of the temple. And I know that only the king could fire the money changers, the porters of the temple. The gatekeepers are the funds that came into the temple to run the social welfare system of the nation to equalize, you know, because there would be poor communities that might be hit hard with a flood or a drought or something. They would need more aid than they could even provide for themselves. So you had those funds coming up to the temple and they'd be redistributed down with a wave offering. Because <laughs> the wave offering has nothing to do with waving your hands in the air. It has to do with wealth distribution, which they had in the kingdom of God, wealth distribution. But it was wealth distribution by charity, not by force, not like communism, not like socialism. 
Like the kingdom of God. Nothing's like the kingdom of God, so I don't have an ism. Christianism. I guess we could call it real Christianism. Charityism. Love for one another. But it's real wealth distribution. So, when he's talking about the things that are passed down from generation to generation, and also the blessings passed down from generation to generation. But it doesn't really pass down. These people aren't condemned to be that same way. They're visited by that weakness. They may be tempted. And, of course, somebody can have six, seven kids. One kid is tempted by it way more than the other kid. And one kid maybe overcomes it right away from the beginning. Because everybody's got a choice. And this is this is what seems to be missing from the rhetoric in, in the letter, is they don't understand choice. Without choice, there is no love. Without the choice to sacrifice for others, there is no love. Because love is a product of choice. And remember, I always say, love is a utility. It's a power. So what choice are you making in order to love? You're choosing to let the divine spark of God flow through you. Because that's the only way you're going to know what to do for other people that would be called love. Is that God reveals it to you. Your, your carnal mind's not going to tell you what love is. What, what your spouse needs, what your children need. It's your spiritual mind. And your spiritual mind is dependent upon spiritual food. And the spiritual food comes from the tree of life. The tree, because the word life there has to do with spirit. The tree of spirit. Because spirit giveth life. Isn't that what Jesus said? Spirit giveth life. Cardinal doesn't give it life. I can, you know, like you cardinally tell your children, don't play in the highway. <laughs> and that may save his life. But what will really give him life is that real love. Now, you know, back to those animals that were getting petted and given toxic food, but their body was adjusting to the toxic food so that it wasn't toxic anymore. So could Jordan Peterson do that? Jordan Peterson is eating meat, salt, and water. Because almost all other foods is toxic to him. He is depending upon the, I guess he mostly eats beef. He might eat some lamb, but he's either uh, a bovine or, you know, a sheep is filtering out the toxins that they eat, which gets into their, you know, the toxins are filtered out. It's not in their meat. And then he eats that meat. And so, therefore, he doesn't have all these uh, allergic reactions in his body. But... He could be cured of that so that he could eat anything. But in the meantime, he's eating meat, salt, and water. And he doesn't cheat. And that process may help him eventually see what he needs to see. Meditation might help him too. I'm pretty sure mushrooms aren't going to do it. If he were to receive the caresses of God, which God wants to give everybody... God doesn't want to touch the Nicolaitans. And that's one of the big problems with Jordan Peterson right now. He is tempted by Nicolaitans and the cabal of Nicolaitans. (laughs) 
that, that's a little code there, uh, to go a particular route. And we're trying to get it to share with him what he's missing. And even if we get to share it with him, it doesn't mean he's going to see it. But if he were to see it, he may be able to to overcome all of his problems, including his dietary problems. But anyway, let's read more of this. So Adam's disobedience was a characteristic passed on to all of Adam's offspring. That's what he thinks. No, it's a tendency. And a weakness of one generation can be passed down to the next generation, but the choice is still there. From that, it would appear that sin should not be the nature of man clear across the centuries of time until now. Well, what about Enoch? Enoch walked with God. Adam walked with God. How did Enoch walk with God? That, that was generations ago. Elijah. Moses. So, the reality is, you know, we live on this present planet. We need to deal with the issues, but we need to identify the issue, and the issue is us. It's in our hearts and in our minds. He goes on to say, you may reply that it was in his makeup, undoubtedly, else he would have, would not have had uh, the inclination, but being in his makeup, who put it there? What was it his maker? Is it not then? Who else could it have been? If you say it was the devil, then the question arises. What did the devil have to do with the makeup of Adam? It was God, Yahweh who made Adam, was it not? Surely it was not the devil who created and formed Adam and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Okay, now we'll get into a little sketchy area. If Adam was formed from the Adama, which is the red clay, doesn't mean that God was down on the shores of a river pulling up clay, making a little model man, and the breathed into him, and all of a sudden the little model man started walking around. Those are metaphors describing the fact that God had some way of manipulating the Adama so that Adam was formed out of the Adama and Eve was formed out of Adam and God breathed an extra spirit into them that he didn't breathe into everybody else necessarily that we know of. There's no record of it, but he very well could have. Just like I said, Enoch walked with God. We just don't, just because they didn't mention it doesn't mean it didn't happen. But enough was mentioned that you get to know, look at the basics. Are you coveting your neighbor's goods? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you giving choice to others? If you're not giving choice to others, expect your choices to diminish. If you're not loving others, expect that, that you will not get love from others. As you judge, so shall you be judged. So if you want, want your right to choose, you have to give the right to choose to others. No better way of doing that than to gather in a free society that operates by faith, open charity, where you give to a minister who knows that he's responsible for the social welfare of his congregation and all the other congregations equally. He has to love all the other congregations equal to his own congregation. All the congregants in a congregation, which is a free assembly, have to love all the other congregants 
in all the other congregations, they don't even know as much as they love the ones in their own. There can be no respecter of persons, including the ones that are in your con. Well, I love these guys more. No, you have to love the others just as much. Kind of tricky. Kind of tricky. But that's a lot like God. That's a lot like Christ. Christ went to the cross for everybody. Even his enemies. Now then, it's not going to be to the advantage of his enemies unless they repent. But he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't hold this against them. That they might be saved. Same as you might be saved. He died. So you cast your bread upon the water so that somebody else might be saved and hope that God operating through the perfect law of liberty and through the universe might save you. And hope. It's not an entitlement. It's not a guarantee. It's a hope. It requires faith in an unseen God, an unseen spirit. And, and you cannot even conjure up that faith yourself. And it, it's a gift. It has to be given to you. But as you give, so shall you receive. So what are you giving to others? This is why it is so important to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and start being people of forgiveness and giving. Thankful for the opportunity of giving. That's the Eucharist of Christ. Thanksgiving. That's what we translate the word Eucharist into. Thanksgiving. It's nothing to do with wafers of bread. They're just a symbol. And if in spite of all, we are going to insist that the devil came on the scene later and caused Adam to disobey, then the question arises, why? For one thing, he did not cause Adam to disobey. Adam chose to disobey. The disobedience was not the major culprit of his sin. The major culprit of his sin is that he did not accept responsibility for his disobedience, but blamed it on God and Eve. That was the biggest sin. The same as people blame all the problems of the world on the New World Order, or, or on the Democrats, or on the woke crowd, or anything. No, it's your fault. Is God not all-powerful? Well, then why don't you get together with God? Instead of with your imagination of what you think God is, or think the devil is. The devil is only, evil is only because of the absence of light, the absence of good. Anybody who chooses not to do what is right, not to do what is good, not attend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith, they are evil. They are comrades to that point with the devil, with darkness. They don't want to admit it, which brings more darkness. They want to flee the light. They want to despise the almond tree. No, they want to despise being awake. So that's that's what they want to do. You you want to love being awake, which is painful. Remember that trick we used to play when we were in school, some of you in school, where you take your hands and you kind of cup your fingers together so that 
the fingers from one hand is cupped into the other, and then you pull them apart, and you pull them apart, and you pull them apart as hard as you can, and the, your fingers are cupped together, and the, the, they're in this little like grasp, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this and for like a minute or something, and then, then you stop pulling apart, and you don't move your fingers, but you take your hands, and you lay them out, and then you try to open them very slowly, and they're like stuck. They can't, they can't even like, you almost think they can't open. And of course that's just an illusion. It's, they can open. And they, and they will open. But that's the way we are with the things that we do. Then we get caught in a rut. Our muscles get stuck. Uh, we, we just can't forgive. I can forgive him. I can forgive him. I can forgive him. But I can't forgive him. Well, chances are, if you can't forgive the last guy, you didn't really forgive the others. <laughs> because forgiveness, like love, is a utility. It's a flow of a certain energy of creation through you. And you have to forgive the toxins of the universe in order to be free of the toxins of the universe. And you have to forgive all those things that represent the toxins of the universe. You know, a lot of people talk about Jordan Peterson as being an angry, well, the one guy referred to him as an angry white dude. Well, of course, that guy is one of the most angry people I know of. But there is a certain element of anger in him, impatience in him. But there's also this element of compassion. And there's a war going on, which is why he has so much trouble with so many different kinds of foods. Because it's, it's his spiritual competition or conflict is at war in his body. Very common. And he was probably made sensitive to that. His father had problems with depression. I think his grandfather had problems with depression. There were suicides in his family. And it was probably diet related, but it's also spiritually related. But sometimes, you know, you have to you know, sometimes you have to put on shoes. <laughs> uh, sometimes you have to take a boat because you can't walk on water. But the devil did not make Adam do What the devil did, whatever, the serpent, whatever he did, he's responsible for that 100%. But what Adam chose to do, he's responsible 100%. And it put these things in motion. It... it Adam was not perfect. If you, you don't want to think of man as a puppet of God. God makes this perfect puppet and he makes him... I, I think there was a movie just recently, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, where the evil nemesis of the show is trying to make well, supposedly perfect people. But they're not perfect. He's, he's trying to make something. He's not even sure what it is. But he's a bit of a monster. No matter what he makes, he makes more monsters. But that's that's the same as Adam and Eve. They they disobeyed God. And what they make? Cain and Abel. Cain was what he was, but Abel couldn't defeat Cain. Abel wasn't stronger than Cain. Abel was subject to Cain. 
and was killed by Cain because there was something missing in Abel because he wasn't as able as you thought. <laughs> but there was something missing in Cain too. And Cain's altars of sacrifice contributed to the temptations that Abel was, uh, Cain was facing, which eventually caused him to oppress his brother even unto death. But he oppressed all the people in his city, which he called Enoch. But, yeah, we're not made perfect. We're made vulnerable. We're made so that we can make choices. Because without those choices, we can't grow. We can't love. Without love, we can't grow in love. So, but God will take us with our imperfections. But God still hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. So you have to go read our article on that if you don't already know. So was the devil coexisting with God from the beginning? No. But darkness was. Because God created light because before there was light, there was darkness. Before there was order, there was chaos. So, you know, those things coexisted. But they are essential in creation. And understanding it all, it really isn't as important as learning to love one another. Or was a created being? And, and this is why I was saying originally, if we go back to the earlier part of the show, that hell exists within the creation of God. It's hell because all those creatures who live in hell or connected in hell. You know, you've heard me talk about the membrane theory and all these other things. What what exactly is hell? Is it a geographical location? Is it a, is it a dimension? Well, you, great conversations, but we'll have to do it around a campfire. But this idea of hell is a place that does not want certain frequencies of the light of God to enter into it. It's a realm of darkness. It's a realm that shadows out certain characteristics of God. And all the entities that are a part of the system of hell dwell in darkness of some sort or another, to one extent or another. And once in that darkness, once absent some of the characteristics of the creator of life, you're going to get something contrary to creation. We call that chaos. We call it destruction. We call it sin. We call it lots of things. But it's short of the ultimate absolute light of God. You couldn't take the absolute light of God. Moses couldn't take it. He could only look at God through this crack. He could not receive all the light of God. He was incapable of doing that. But what light he could see, he wanted, He did not want to turn away from it. He saw this light out in the desert, and I will not turn away from it. I will go see this light. I will enter into the presence of this light. I will see what it is, lightens in the darkness. But those who are flourishing in the almond tree, they, they despise the light. And there's a lot of people in between those two extremes. Those that love the light, those that despise the light. There's a lot of people in the gray area. But you don't want to stay in the gray area. Because lukewarm, the gray area. I'm mixing those metaphors because that I means that's what they are. So you see it with two different metaphors. That gray area, that lukewarm area, that's not getting into the light. 
You have to love the light. You have to go to the light. And that's a choice. It's a daily choice, a moment-by-moment choice. And sometimes it's painful. But that's what we all have to do. And God gives us all kinds of people around us to help test us, to help strengthen us. Like, like a pinball machine full of pinballs, full of obstacles. So that we can practice learning to love one another. So, anyway, he asks in here, now where are we? We have a devil on the scene of whom God must have had full knowledge of. God knew there was darkness. He knows what comes if you dwell in darkness. He knows what comes if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But he has to give you all those things in order for you to have some realm in which to make choices. To love one another as you love yourself. Then are we going to say that all the wise, all that an all wise creator knew the influence, the evil influence and destructive effects of this creature, yet allowed him to have access to Adam? He allows you to have access to your children. He allows your children to have access to you. He had allowed Hitler to have access to Germany. But Germans have to take responsibility. There were the Germans who elected him and the Germans who did nothing about him. The powers of that be are filtering into the media. I mean, you look at Canada. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The weakness and sloth of the Canadian people. Too much agreeability. Now there's great people up there. But they are strangling themselves with the election of people like Trudeau, who's doing everything possible to destroy. I mean, you know, you even have politicians coming out talking about reduction of the world's population. I mean, we've seen it etched anonymously on stones and all this kind of stuff. We've seen, I remember seeing Bill Gates getting a standing ovation because he was talking about reducing the world's population in San Francisco. These are all... I mean, the videos of these things have been just uh, gobbled up and destroyed because they have a huge number of people working on this to keep you brainwashed. And you have no other alternative network Twittering it. I mean, you can use Twitter, certainly. You can use all the others. But you don't have the network of God. You're not sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands sharing the truth. We're sharing you a lot of truth with you here, but not nearly what you need. Because you don't need truth from me. You need truth from that divine spark and you are not going to get it unless you start sacrificing, a daily sacrifice of the life that God has given you. You have to lay down so that you can have life more abundant. Now how you do that, I'm not in charge of that. God is in charge of that. But you have to listen to God in your heart, in your mind, and figure out what that is. And I'll go through a little bit more of this. I've got lines all the way down. I'm not going to read the kind of skip it around a little bit here. Uh, there is no destructive effect. No darkness shines against the light and destroys the light. There is no destructive effect of evil. There's the manifestation of evil because you choose to live in darkness. That's how... D- Evil creatures who love the darkness get into you to begin with. 
It's because you don't love the light enough to let the light in you. See, if Abel loved the light as much as he should have, as much as he should have, Cain could have never snuck up on him and hit him in the back of the head, (laughs) which I assume is the way that it went. So anyway, but did not God know what the effects of the test would be? He must have known if God is omniscient, and he is. It could have been it not been otherwise, and the test was for Adam's enlightenment, and he found something sadly lacking in him. No, he didn't find anything sadly lacking in him. He found things the way they are. And, and I don't know that God isn't doing this with billions of people and billions of creatures that we don't even know about. I don't know what God's doing. But the reality is God gives choice. And, and the kingdom of God is in the moment. Uh, We are trying to draw a picture of God and understand this infinite God. You can't do this. It's a waste of time. And and it's a distraction from the simplicity of the kingdom of God. God is a creator and a giver of life. And with that life, he gives us choices so that we can learn to love. Because with love, which is sacrifice, we can have more life, more abundant life, more uh, a growing life. Go into the creation of God. And, and he told Adam to replenish the earth. I don't know how many times this went on before he told Adam to replenish the earth. What happened to everybody that he has to replenish it? They just don't go into that. It does say replenish. I've looked at the word in the Hebrew. I can't see it means anything other than that. I can't prove it. I don't want to create doctrine about it. I'm just saying that the Spirit of God is to give life. And for us to be made in His image, we have to want to give life too. In order to give life, we have to give choice. If we're doing things to take choice away from other people, The wages of that is death. If we're going to take life away from others, we're going to take liberty away from others, we are going to earn death through a loss of liberty. It's just the way it goes. It's our choice. It's, it's, that's the way throughout the entire universe. Whoever else is out there, I don't know. It's not important. What's important is you here now. In this moment, because the kingdom of God is only in the moment. Was Adam a perfect son of God before his disobedience? No. Or was he the perfect only in his potential potentiality to become the son of God? We're all children of God. We're just not all good children of God. If he was perfect son of God in the spiritual sense, then how is it that he soon displayed such a gross imperfection. I don't know why anybody is asking all these questions, but they seem to be asking these questions. Why aren't you asking the question like, why are we not living by faith, hope, and charity in the perfect law of liberty? Why are we going to churches to make us feel good? Make us get some sort of emotional support from other people who want to feel good too. Why are we doing that? Why are we doing the righteousness of God? Why are we letting the society bite one another? 
Why are we a part of such a thing? Why aren't we creating the alternative? Abraham created altars for the people around about him. Moses created altars, the altar of Nisi. Why is he doing this? To teach the people how to sacrifice for one another. This is what's so amazing. You know, all that symposium, Jordan Peterson, and they never figured out that these altars are a social safety net. They never figured out the social safety net of a government that exercises authority brought them into the bondage of Egypt and made them slaves. If they actually realize that, it's not very far step away from seeing that they are slaves today. They see, the psychologist Jordan Peterson sees that his slavery, he sees the result, psychological result of the system. He said the other day, he said something about the responsibility, every responsibility you neglect to take on for yourself and you leave for others will be taken over by others. He saw and he sees that that is true. And, he, and he's talking about the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But I have not heard him say that we have to create a social safety net entirely dependent from the people who exercise authority one over the other. Now, there's a lot more to that. But if we don't do that, if we don't sit down those tens, hundreds, and thousands, not to overcome the new world order, but to overcome our own unrighteousness, then what are we doing? He says there is a teaching very widely taught that Adam fell. And it is taught that with and uh, in the fall of the entire Adam race fell. The implication is uh, such a teaching is that before his fall, he was all that God intended him to be. Well, you know, that is such speculation. Uh, I, I remember uh, Michael Davis. Uh, he was fond of saying, it is what it is. Adam was what he is. You know, God supposedly created all the angels. and There was rebellion in the kingdom of, uh, in the heavens. And a third of the angels departed from this realm of light and went into their own realm, which wasn't really their own realm, but just another part of the realm, because God divided the universe into light and darkness. So they chose to go to an area that did not have some of the light of God. In hell, they're not really big on forgiveness, and they're not really big on sharing. Uh, there's a lot of hard workers there. <laughs> Uh, a lot of dedication, a lot of loyalty, a lot of patriotism in hell. You know, obey the master. But sacrifice and love, not so much. Do they procreate? Because procreation is one of the amazing things. Two people come together and they create, they make their own people. They make more people. And it takes a lot of work to make those people. And it's a very interesting dynamic to be put into creation. And it's all over in creation. But there seems to be some parts of creation they're saying now, at least they're admitting it, that don't procreate like that. <laughs> but I don't know. We'll save that for another show. The implication of such a teaching is that before the fall, he was all that God intended. Well, why are you second-guessing God? Why are you trying to figure out what God intended? 
if someone is again going to remark that Adam was free moral agent and that he exercised his power of choice and disobeyed God and thereby fell from his perfect sinless state, well, it wasn't perfect, it wasn't sinless, then I shall pose this question, what sort of perfection is this which you ascribe to Adam which allows uh, or causes him to immediately disobey the command of God? If so, just how and in what way? Well, you kind of hit on it long way around. The fact is, is that Adam was not perfect. None is perfect but God. Adam was what he was. He had a choice. He made a choice. He didn't do it instantly. He didn't do it directly. He was manipulated into it. But he made it. And the part that he made, he denied. He did not want to admit his error. This is a major problem in the world today, is that people do not want to admit that they're in error. You're schizophrenics. You're uh, bipolar people. You know, like the, the study, that they looked at people with depression problems. Some of them are somewhat bipolar, but they're depression, definitely. That was a common problem of depression. Some they treated with counseling. Some they treated with drugs. Some they treated with counseling and drugs. And some they treated with exercise, activity, where they got out and were doing things. Whether it was just exercise or maybe it was providing services, maybe clean up. I'm not sure exactly what they all curtailed, but the reality is the ones that just did exercise showed a 150% improvement over the ones who were receiving drugs or therapy or both. 150% better they did simply with exercise. And I see it all the time. The people are depressed. So Adam was given all kinds of choices, certainly the choice between the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil as a source, or the tree of life as a source. And I've given you a little bit of a clearer picture instead of just this blank metaphor of two trees sitting there in the garden with Adam and Eve standing with fig leaves. No. There, there, was, there was a job ascribed to Adam to begin with. And in that job, there are all kinds of choices as to what to do here, what to do there, how to do this, what to do that. He was to dress it and keep it. Hold dominion. But of course, the serpent wants dominion. So the serpent can't destroy man, but he can get man to destroy himself. And if man destroys himself, the serpent can take dominion. Because there is no more man to hold dominion. But he can't take the dominion directly away from it. So what you're in right now, and have been for a long, long time, is a battle for dominion of this planet. And you've all but lost it. You don't own your land. You don't own your labor. You don't own your children. You don't even own your genetic makeup. Billions of people have had gene-altering therapy entered into their bodies. GMOs. They make a GMO seed. They have already stated with precedent over and over again, they own that seed. 
that seed gets in your field and contaminates the red seed that you have been growing for three generations. They will make you destroy every last seed that you had and your parents had and your parents had before you because you can't have their genetics in your seed. Billions of people in the world now have an alternate DNA in their genetics. Is it inheritable? Will it pass on to their children? The mRNA was made indestructible by Pfizer. How did they know to do that? I've, I've seen some of the guys who work at Pfizer. They're not that bright. They're getting information from somebody. I tell you, you're about to go into the worst battle in the history of man, from which somebody will lead the breath of God and be given the command to be fruitful and replenish the earth again. <laughs> so that's a little prophetic statement. You see the claim that Adam was perfect in every way, lacking nothing until he fell through disobedience. That's completely false image. He wasn't perfect in there. He was made in the image of God, but he was still the individual. You know, it's like saying a baby is perfect. Well, you know, that's a nice little cute saying, but that baby can't even walk on his own. He can't feed himself. He can't do anything himself. He has a lot to learn. Adam had a lot to learn. And God gave him a place in which to learn it. And if he would learn from his mistakes, he would have been way better off. But he denied his mistakes. You see? I'm going back to that again. You have to admit your mistakes if you're going to get better. You're going to have to admit we went the wrong way with FDR and LBJ. We went the wrong way when we abandoned a pure religion or we took care of all the needy of our society through faith, hope, and charity. That's pure religion. We have been doing that for 100 years. We've been doing quite the opposite for a long time. Will we admit? We, will, will we admit we're full of the deeds of the Nicolaitans that God hates? Because until we admit that, how are we going to even know what to repent of? The offspring weren't ruined. Enoch wasn't ruined. Enoch repented. Enoch got better. So Adam was not perfect. Adam was Adam. He is what he is. Why must man be born again? Now, that really is much simpler, but then you have to understand what being born again. He has to eat at the tree of life. He has to be born of the spirit. The tree of life is spirit. So how do you eat of the tree of life? That's being born again. Now, if you're eating of the tree of life, how do you know you're eating of the tree of life? How, how, how would you know that? There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher for, uh, that comes from God. He knew that. But some of the other people didn't know that, didn't want to admit it because they hate the almond tree. They hate being awake. They hate being, seeing the truth. So, jump down. Jesus answered and said, As verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. Of God, You can't even see it unless you see it as a spiritual place, through spiritual eyes. How do you get those spiritual eyes? How would you lose them? 
how did you end up in darkness? Because you have a long chain of things that you have done wrong that you didn't want to admit are wrong. You know, when my daughter always says, don't attack their delusion, I I should say, which one? (laughs) You have so many delusions. Uh, So you had to, you know, accept the man to be born of water and of spirit. And actually, the of is added in there. Born of water and the spirit. It cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So two things. You can't see it, and therefore you can't enter in that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't make a big deal out of that. Don't, don't, don't be astonished at that. The wind bloweth where it listeth. The wind, the spirit, listeth where it will. Here is the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. I can talk about this till the cows come home, but... You can't see the Spirit unless you individually start doing what is necessary to see things spiritually, which means that you have to set aside your carnal mind, which is what we teach in the meditation. Although, even doing that, it's it's an individual journey. And it's not just like if I do 67 push-ups every day, I will get stronger. No. You have to really be willing to see your inadequacies, not everybody else's. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness, for I have told you earthly things, and you believe not. How shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So he's pointing that out. You have to see in the Spirit. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness. He goes into that. Let's go down to, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Very important line. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. God's not condemning you. You condemn yourself because he hath not believed in the name, the character of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light is come into the world and men loved darkness. They hated the almond tree. They despised the almond tree. <laughs> they despised being awake. They despised seeing the truth. They loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Because their deeds were the deeds of the Nicolaitans who take a bite out of one another in order to get benefits at the expense of their neighbor. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. They all hate almond trees. <laughs> Keep going back to that. Maybe start sticking, making a memory. But he that doeth truth 
cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So that's how you know which way a guy's going on the road. To Rome? Or the kingdom of God? By what he's doing? By his deeds? Is he coveting his neighbor's goods? Is he coveting his own goods so that he won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands of cast his bread upon the waters? He won't create the alternative to the system of the world. Well, we know he's not born again. Because if he was born again, he would be doing the will of the Father. The will of the Son. Who commanded his disciples to make the people sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands to create that alternative of social welfare that is not dependent on men who are exercising authority one another, over one another taking a bite out of one another, returning the whole world back to the bondage of Egypt, he would not be doing that. If he's doing that, and if he's not doing what is necessary to counter that system that has made the whole world merchandise, then we know he's not born again. Because once he's born again, boy, he's got to work at that. He's got to do that. And this is the way to eternal life. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And that may mean laying down your life in this world to pick up your life more abundant in the world to come. I don't want to get into theologies about heaven and hell and what it's going to be like and all this stuff. So much of that is just conjured up. I can tell you this, it'll be interesting. But exactly what is going to happen? Though he may save me, I hope to God that I serve him. And I hope to God that you serve him. You know, when we help that individual out, Caleb, out, we can only do that because we had an assemblage of the network. We've had other people who broke down on the road. One of them, they're probably listening, is one of those numbers of them. And somebody got in their car and drove all the way to where they were, a long ways. I think they had to travel into another state or two. Picked them up and give them shelter, took them in. That's that's huge. Can you imagine if we had a million people? If we had 5% of Americans, there's supposedly 320 Americans. Uh, so, you know, 5% of a million Americans... Uh, excuse me, 5% of 100 million Americans is 5 million Americans. So, we're talking 15, 20 million people. If they be, actually became Christians, that that would create a spiritual plutonium that would alter the course of the whole world. But we don't have people actually even hearing the gospel much less doing it that they're not born again they don't know Christ they're not doing the will of the Father some of them are close to the kingdom that was the thing with Nicodemus he was not far from the kingdom but he was still sneaking in at night to talk to Jesus (laughs) And you can tell that Jesus took a tone with him. How is it you do not know these things? (laughs) 
You know, how could you hear that, Master Poe? How could you not hear it, Grasshopper? <laughs> kind of rubbing his nose in it. But always with love. Christ always was doing these things with love. He did a lot of funny things. But he was also serious. And seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is serious. So next week we have to start Ezra, and I really am not done with the notes on Ezra. I've got to get through these audios that we've already got. I had a long talk with somebody about local um, healthcare and medical systems. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could do if people would actually start really getting sincere about understanding the kingdom and seeking the kingdom. Somebody uses the chat room properly, <laughs> like Ella from Marilla, and they can ask a question, then I can answer that question. Uh, I won't be typing the answer in. But she says at the end of her last statement, thank you for the explanation. So theoretically, people will know that it's in the recording. And so, uh, yeah, so we have those these things. The more we use them, if you have certain people that want to come on as guests, uh, if you have people want to come on and debate me, we go ahead and come on and debate me. Uh, and we can use this forum to do it. And hopefully I'll get better and better at it. And uh, we'll take it from there. And we can use this as a tool, hopefully, to start getting more people. But everybody in the network needs to reach out to as many people. You can send that link. Uh, but we will send this out on Tuesday of next week with this morning's show. And then we'll have our Ecclesiastes uh, page completed and uh, study completed. And people can go and go through that step by step. And I tell you, I can't imagine that people will start figuring out what the gospel was really all about to find out what liberty was really all about. One other announcement. Of course, we have uh, the Burning Bush Festival the first weekend of September. Uh, Paul will be on its way here coming probably next week. He's in Wisconsin right now. I don't know who all is coming. If you're coming, let us know. Give us a heads up. Uh, it's a camping event. Everybody should be ready to camp. We will have some extra restrooms, hopefully. Eventually, we want to build. Uh, uh, fortunately, my son-in-law will build it. It does no cost to the church. He wants to build a little outside shower and bathrooms and a little bit of a trailer park where you can park your trailer and hook up. And uh, we have a trailer park right next door. Uh, that my daughter runs, actually. Uh, so you can, but you need to get what you need to get reserve sites way in advance. Uh, we could build a, a bigger site out on the church property, and that's what because we're starting to have the uh, White Rock gathering in the spring. We hope to develop a retreat ground and eventually even put in cottages and other things, although, generally speaking, these are camping events, and even a, a larger village. But uh, it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of sacrifice. And I'm doing what I can. I'm not sure everybody else is doing what they can. But God has to put it on your heart. God's disciples are not beggars. But you can see the need is growing for people coming together and then going back to their own communities and creating that network. But everybody has to do it. We make all these recordings, all the books available, but you have to spread the good news. 
You have to be a part of building that network. So until then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.